The Treasure of the Ancient King Part 1 The Forgotten Prince Chapter 5 Hogswash! The silence was broken by Parthenia. Do you really expect us to believe that you fought at the side of Prince Bryanet against the dragon Falendir? She complained. Wait a minute, my lady, interjected the barman, who had perched himself on a step and was polishing his goblets. Where does the prince come into all of this? Do I have to be blunt? answered Parthenia. Have you not been listening? What about this Peabody, this bumbling sergeant who takes his loyal subjects on Morntide patrols, only to give overblown speeches about his kingdom, who hides his face, lest he be recognised, and carries out daring raids in the name of honour, only secretly desiring to impress his lover, the Lady Freylena? Yes, indeed, it all plays straight out of the Harper's Law Book, if you ask me. The spittle was still fresh on the chin of the crestfallen Sir Abrant. I was getting to all that. Give us a fair stab, why don't you? The problem with all this, of course, continued Parthenia, is that Prince Brynet never made it to Freylena. He disappeared around the time of the terrors of Falendir, never to be heard of again. That is why he is called the Forgotten Prince, I suppose. And he hid himself as a sergeant in the army to fool the dragon, barked Sir Abrant swinging his fist in front of him. Oh, how convenient for your story, she retorted, her eyes gleaming with pleasure at Rabrin's frustration. Young lady, piped up the wizard from the back of the room before Sir Rabrin could respond. The young warrior quickly turned to look at the novel interlocutor and rested her gaze upon his face. Seeing him not to be a threat, she loosened her stance. The wizard doddered, drifting inwards towards the pair. Miss, Miss, what is your name again? Parthenia is my name, she said curtly. And that will do for you. What do you want? Now, as the wizard made his request, he was as gentle as the padding of a haymouse on fresh silage, and as firm as the force needed to lift a barn from its foundations. I want to hear the end of the story, Miss Parthenia. Would you mind... Of course, she said, bowing to the old man and sitting down immediately. Thank you. Please continue, Sir Moibray. It was a true pleasure to see a master of the magical arts at work. Thank you, sire, Rabrin said. No, where was I? The blood-curdling scream, Rabrin, replied the wizard politely. Aye, of course, I remember. But before we go any further... I feel I must pause to offer a word about the dragons, the foe we are about to meet, he said, reaching to an inner pocket of his tunic. May I read a spot of the law of the Fowler? he asked, drawing out a ragged piece of linen paper. This was a piece of law paper, a religious keepsake of sorts. 
it was interesting to see the contrasting impact of its presence upon Sir Rabran and upon Parthenia. In Rabran's case, it caused him to enter a mode and tone of reverence, whereas in Parthenia's, her expression was almost exactly the reverse. She pursed her lips, stared intensely at the floor, and listened with disquiet at the recitation. Rabran began, A dragon is but flesh and may be slain by wits and flesh and steel. But beware to face this demon steed, for his slither will be your seal. For in the beginning there was no men, but gods and dragons fought, and only those with minds of gods could match a dragon's thoughts. A dragon, then, is a terrific lizard, Rabran went on. Impressive, aye, fire-breathing, certainly. Depending on the age, they might be six or seven foot long, or as big as a house. Though they is rarely been seen by menfolk, and capturing one, well, tis a fool's errand, explained Rabran excitedly. Dragons are mortal, but their mortal strength is only a small bit of their threat. No, you've got to understand that a dragon is a magical creature, and therefore in an altogether different world to something like a lion or a hippopotamus, he said, tapping his folded parchment. The law teaches us that the dragons were once, and perhaps still are, the steeds of demons, and are such a blessed or cursed, with ancient knowledge and deep purposes that are far beyond the finite thoughts of men. Now let us get back to the story from the point at which I was interrupted, said Rabran, giving Parthenia a sideways glance. So there we was, standing there in the dappled sunlight. We were wondering about, I can only guess, what fantastical quest we were tearing ourselves into, while Peabody was there running around in front of us. We was doing all this, as I was saying before, when that mildly hopeful atmosphere was dashed by this terrible scream. Rabran leant heavily on the table, and stared around at his audience on all sides. Straightway, Sergeant Peabody swooped down from his pedestal, and on to the path from which we had heard the noise. There was nigh stopping him. Him and his horse pranced from foothold to foothold, delicate as a fox. In a couple of seconds, he was gone, disappeared down the hillside. Aye, the others were still overcome by the proceedings, swapping baffled looks, but I wasn't surprised he said. Nay me, and what's more, I was willing to bet I could match the sergeant's display. I may chase, albeit more cautiously, said Rabran, raising a finger to wag it knowingly. The descent to the coast led the two of us back into the mist. This soon made the tracking of the sergeant difficult, but it was not far till we reached the beachhead, and I could follow the shuffling of hooves on the sand. Then, when I were closing in on him, Something amazing happened. Without warning, the horizon flared up with yellow light. The air around me billowed and smouldered, and smelt like sugary smoke. And there he were, a dark silhouette among the flames, Peabody's horse rearing up from the blast of heat, prancing daintily around a slimy mass in front of him, an oily slick that threatened to swallow up the whole world from below. I soon recognised it. I knew it had to be the edge of the sea, its black, briny water meeting the shore. Then the next thing I see is a woman coming up from the waves, and then, beyond Brianet's horse, I could just about see the outline of the dragon himself, wings flapping, tails flailing, 
body hovering over the surface of the sea in deeps. At this point, Sir Rabran was hunching over the back of Bithynia's couch. He was illustrating the motions of the dragon with his lanky elbows, and began to speak in what can only be described as a nasal screech. Ye can drop the pretend, Sergeant Peabody, said Sir Rabran, taking full advantage of the consonants of that sentence for his impression of the lizard's voice. Or should I say, Prince Bryonet? As the twist was revealed, the sentiment in the tavern shifted rapidly in the opposite direction to that which Rabran had hoped. Aha! I knew it! declared Pathinia, and everyone laughed. I was just getting to the good bit, protested Sir Rabran. Next, offered Pathinia playfully, I suppose Prince Bryonet rips off his helmet and stares the dragon down, his golden locks gleaming in the firelight. Well, yes, muttered Sir Rabran. On her feet, Pathinia mimicked the grandiose style of her tutor. What brings you hither, you foul beast? said he. Pathinia swung her dagger under Rabran's nose, as if she were the hero of the story. Don't you dare threaten this lowly damsel, or I shall, I shall, I shall chop off your tail. And at that, Pathinia swung her knife over his chest. Rabran shrieked with horror. She had deftly sliced one of the buttons from his breeches and had flicked it into the air. With a darting swipe, she plucked the tiny disc out of the air and offered it to him in the palm of her hand. The room burst forth with applause. The wizard stood up again with visible vexation. With a flick of his wrist, he extracted the cheeky sword out of the girl's grasp. It flew right across the room and landed in his hand, handle between his fingers and blade pointing down at the ground. The daglight sword and the billows of his cloak gave him the bizarre appearance of an assassin and was somewhat threatening. Consequently, the crowd was silenced, but at the same time was gagging in suspense as if they were about to hear a punchline. There are just two things we have in common, as I see it, young Miss Parthenia, put the wizard judiciously, inspecting the dagger. The one is our partiality for cheap trickery. The other is our interest in accurate historical inquiry. He strode across the room and passed the dagger to her gently. Can I ask you to kindly put this away? That is because, in my experience, a knife can make both party tricks and history lessons an exercise in fragility. Now, Sir Moibre, my noble friend, he continued, evaporating the sliver of tension he had created with a slice of cordiality. I beseech you, what did the dragon say next? I must know, the wizard asked him, at the same time bidding the young warrior sheathe her weapon with the angle of his chin and a sharp look. Um, um, let me remember said Rabran, finding that his dignity had been returned to him by this kind gesture of the wizard. He closed one eye to make sure he recollected it all correctly. The wizard's posture relaxed, and he tilted his head and began rubbing his chin again, as he had been doing before the interruption. The dragon began to speak in law, said Rabran, and it went, a deal to strike, tween liege and list, to spare a life he'd hoped he lived. My wish would be but to ask him this, to be his steed and serve his wish. The wizard, who had been attending carefully to every syllable, began looking at the ceiling and nodding as soon as the performance was complete. He was clearly satisfied, even if his mind was still on some distant plane. A moment later he turned to face them all again and announced solemnly, 
These are the words of a dragon. Oh, please, despaired Parthenia, collapsing on her chair, as if a dragon would offer his services to a human being. And then, how did the prince reply? inquired the wizard. Well, at first he was taken aback, answered Reverend. Unsurprisingly, I suppose. Um, but then he whispered something about a riddle. How interesting. A riddle, yes, it could be. The wizard was excited and began pacing back and forth in front of us. It was as if he was back in his personal study, mentally concocting some bizarre recipe for a potion. Then, as unpredictably as he had begun, he halted and raised his fist in a flash of inspiration. It was a test! Would the young prince agree to the serpent's ultimatum and accept the honour of becoming a dragon rider? He declared. Continuing on that train of thought, he asked, How did Brianet reply, Reverend? He didn't straight away. Instead, he began to recite the lore of Grafalda, just as I had read out to you before. But beware to face this demon's steed, for his sliver will be your seal. For in the beginning there was no men, but gods and dragons fought, and only those with minds of God could match a dragon's thoughts. Just like that. And then, said the wizard, expectantly, he had to shout at the top of his voice because of the dragon's hissing, which was getting quite loud, said Reverend. I shall never agree, dragon, was the prince's reply, explained Reverend, still looking a bit shell-shocked that his story was being dissected with so much interest. But that was not it. The prince went on to say more. "'Tis a devilish trick, and you know it. To be served by evil is alike to being a demon-born, and, and thoughts of dragons are such that I can never trust myself to your obedience as much as a man was never meant to wield the power of gods. And with that, concluded Rabban, the dragon gave a cackling laugh, like a bundle of hay spilled into a furnace, and disappeared in a wisp of smoke. This excerpt was read by D.A. Clark, the author of the piece. Please note that this is a draft, and as such does not represent the quality of the final version. If you would like to find more excerpts, please visit anchor.fm forward slash david 908.